through. Bingo! You are now listening to the facts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm sitting actually by myself uh, at a remote location, actually just my house, but uh, I'm still here with my main man, Jake Galley. We're coming at you with an, an exclusive, a different kind of podcast. Um, it'll just be us two today. We know a lot of things are going on with uh, you know, the craziness that is the coronavirus. We hope that everyone is taking the necessary precautions, social distancing, staying inside their house, and most importantly, staying safe and healthy with your loved ones today. But, Jake, we got to take advantage of the fact that everyone's at home, right? We got to put out. Of course, this is the best time. I've been bored out of my mind. We know y'all with... are too. We know everybody is there too. So if anybody yeah. is bored, you tell them. Go listen to Straight Facts because we're still putting out good content, especially with the craziness that has been NFL free agency. I'm gonna let you take that, Jake, because I'm ready to blow a gasket. You know what I'm? Yeah, I bet you are. It's. I mean, the biggest news coming across, I guess, yesterday is when it first started to trickle out that Tom Brady would be heading <laughs> somehow <laughs> to the Buccaneers. Uh, you know what? I, I guess I'll kick it back to you because this has been – we were talking before we started recording. This has been a long time coming oh, for you and your shitty Buccaneers. Oh, he had to get one more little jab out there, everybody. But I'm not – I'm too happy <laughs> to even let that affect me right now. I really am really too you know, ecstatic. First of all, before I get into my jubilation, I first want to say that I have no ill will or disrespect or hate at all for Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, he, he had his flaws, obviously, as a quarterback, but he was a guy who worked extremely hard, couldn't have tried and gave more effort into his craft and getting better and trying to lead our football team. And as many bad moments as there was with Jameis, there were good moments and, dare I say, great moments as well. It's really hard to hear that he may not get a starting quarterback job next year or even the year after just with his stigma around the league. Teams are not willing to take a chance on him. But I will say that that is a mistake. I was ready to have Jameis Winston back as my quarterback. And I think until this situation with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots started rearing its head, I think Tampa Bay was prepared to bring Jameis back as their quarterback. But as we heard the news about Tom Brady wanting to separate and maybe wanting to start anew, you couldn't, as a new coach and a good GM as Jason Licht is, you couldn't not put your hat in the ring for Tom Brady. And as soon as he expressed his interest in the Buccaneers, you had to put your chips in the center of the table and go and get him. So this really isn't a knock on Jameis. This is a an appreciation that the greatest quarterback of all time is now available and wants to play with us. We had to bring him in. But with that being said, you can't argue 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. There's talent there with Jameis Winston, and I hope that he does get his second chance, and I hope when he gets his second chance, he takes advantage of it. But yeah, that's not with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers anymore because we have what could be our saving grace in Tampa. I mean, we, we have a guy coming in who, yes, he's 43. Yes, he's fallen off a little bit. But you give Tom Brady weapons as – potent as the Buccaneers offense has right now and it, it could be very scary 
for the rest of the league. And we have well, to. Well, so let me ask you a question because that that's something that, that I was curious about is you look at how the Buccaneers offense is built. And obviously you have your two super studs in Evans and Godwin. And I know that they had OJ Howard there. They have Cameron Brate there. Um, they aren't really involved or they weren't really involved in the Buccaneers offense. And I've heard rumors that you guys are possibly still looking at someone like Melvin Gordon to bring in, which would be a boon for the offense as well. Uh, but it, like, so their offense was predicated on airing the ball out, taking chances, you know, going deep more often than not. Uh, and, and some of that was because they were down all the time, which I'll touch on in a little bit. And I don't mean to bag on the Buccaneers, but like I genuinely wonder if this is going to be a good fit for an older Tom Brady who maybe the arm isn't still there and maybe he needs to be propped up by good coaching as we've seen him you know, for the past five-ish years. He loves his tight ends, and he loves throwing to his running backs out of the backfield. And I think that's the biggest hole still for the Buccaneers and how Tom Brady operates is there's no receiving running back that he can throw to. He's used to throwing to a Deion Lewis, a James White. And the Buccaneers don't really have that right now. We have Ronald Jones, and then you go to a Charles Sims or maybe a Jaquiz Rogers, none of which are really known for their ball-catching you know, ability out of the backfield. Um, but with that being said, you have two very good tight ends in that offense. One in O.J. Howard, who's a first-round pick two years ago out of the University of Alabama. And then you have Cameron Bray, who in that same year in 2017-2018 could have made a Pro Bowl selection. So there are two young, very good multi-purpose tight ends that are in that offense. And then what Tom Brady has been missing for the last, what, seven to eight years of his career in which he has three Super Bowl titles – is the, the locked-in number one receiver. He's had glimpses of it when he had a little bit of Josh Gordon, um, but he's he's never truly had that number one go-to elite-level receiver. He's turned Julian Edelman into what is now a perennial pro bowler. But I mean, I, you could I mean, argue that that's by design, though. Exactly, and I think we can all agree that Julian Edelman is made as great as Julian Edelman is because he's paired with Tom Brady. Not to say he's a bad receiver or not a good one, but he's at the level he's at because he's played in that system and has benefited from Tom Brady being his quarterback. Tom Brady, for the first time in a long time, is throwing to a bona fide top five receiver in the NFL in Mike Evans and is now actually throwing to maybe a top 15, argue top 10 receiver in Chris Godwin. That's an arsenal he's never, he hasn't dealt with in a long, long time, which just makes this so promising. And as for Buccaneers fans, like I cannot tell you, we've waited for this and you're right. We've waited for this for so long. And if you've been someone like me, you've waited for it patiently. Like it hasn't been a lot of throwing your team under the bus. Hasn't been a lot of animosity towards the Buccaneers. It's been taking kind of the lumps on our chin in this rebuilding, this elongated rebuilding process. And now hopefully, man, we can finally start reaping the benefits of that and feeling the fruits of our labor because, you know, I'm, I'm ready to see the grass, the grass get greener. I'm just Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'll take your word for that. I don't know too many Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans, so I'm not really sure how they've taken the past like five years. We've been paying. Uh, but I, I think here's what I want to do, because in the offseason, these moves, they always look great. If you're the team with making the big splash, the fans are always happy about it. And then sometimes that splash doesn't turn out. And some, you know what? Sometimes it does. So if... I had to ask you, what is the best case scenario and worst case scenario? And we'll do this for pretty much all the big movements that we've seen in the past couple of days. But Brady to Tampa, 
what is the best case scenario in the next couple of years and the worst case scenario out of this pairing? The worst case scenario, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I think they're both kind of pretty clear. We just have to spell it out. The worst case scenario, obviously, is not only does it doesn't if it doesn't work, but it flops. And what I mean by it flops is Brady doesn't look the the Brady that can sustain a championship run. Like it, I don't think Brady has to ascend with going to the Buccaneers. But if Brady continues to rapidly decline, that's the worst case scenario. And I, I believe over the last about 11 games, Tom Brady's resume has looked eerily similar to that of about Miss Mitchell Trubisky, mm. former Chicago Bears quarterback. Oh, Lord. Down, yeah, if you break down those numbers for the last 11 career games, they look pretty similar. And Trubisky might even have a little bit of the edge. You know, as, as I'm looking at it, you know, from a from a comparison standpoint, breaking down numbers to numbers, I mean, it's, it's not really good. Tom Brady... Um, has gone 11 and six, I'm sorry, six and five in those last 11 games um, with a completion percentage of 50, 57%, 2,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, six interceptions as a quarterback rating of 80.3. Okay. Mitchell Trubisky in those same 11 games, five and six, a completion percentage of 62%, 2,550 yards, 30 more than Tom Brady, 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions, a quarterback rating of 83.5. So there's some places you could say Brady looked a little better than Trubisky. Some places just Trubisky looked a little better than Brady. But I don't want Tom Brady compared to Mitchell Trubisky at all, ever, ever. Yeah, and this that, is, uh, as you could guess, if you're a uh, follower of the show, this was thrown together by our Brady-hating statistician, Stat Matt Robinson. Right. Um, so maybe a little character assassination here for Brady. And, and I wish you guys at home could could peel back the curtain and see Stat Matt because he's doing his best to not be biased, but all he's doing is throwing negative Brady stats towards us. He'll, he'll, uh, preface, it, he'll preface it with something like, I hope it works out for the Bucks, but but you know what I mean? <laughs> like he'll try to mask it, but I see what he's doing. He he wants this to fail. And I think a lot of people out there want this to fail. They want that worst case scenario to happen. Well, and that's not against the Buccaneers, though. That's against Tom Brady, right? You are quarterback now, so now it is. <laughs> now it's personal. Now it's um, personal. you're attaching his name to it. Let me before before we move on to the best case scenario. I think the absolute worst case scenario, specifically, that could happen is Tom Brady comes in and doesn't put hope in Tampa Bay. He doesn't collect his check. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't lift the dark cloud. He doesn't change perception. He doesn't make Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, get taken seriously in the NFL. That's the absolute worst case scenario for Tom Brady. There's a lot of things culturally that people in the Tampa Bay organization and fans wanted to change. That's why Dirk Cutter's no longer there. It's one of the reasons Jameis Winston didn't get brought back. You bring in someone who's an old school mind, an old school guy like Bruce Arians, and now you go from, you know, the young, spirited, kind of wide-eyed quarterback who wants to instill positivity and good energy and good vibes in everyone, to now you get the veteran who's got zero time to play games. Like, Tom Brady is back to prove that he still has left in the tank that Father Time is not winning. And I think the worst thing that could happen is that he comes and doesn't change, you know, that aura around the Buccaneers. Doesn't let a fire under anybody. I think I think he got two years to do it too. He's got how long? How long? How long was his contract? At the time that we're recording this, Wednesday, Wednesday, March eighteenth, at six thirty-five, 
I don't think there's been any length or dollar amount specifically attached to the deal. I think that's why that's what we're waiting for. It's what everyone's waiting for. It's what they're still working out. Um, is how long and for how much money. So but, I would say, go ahead. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see like a two year deal here. Like, is it out of the question? And and I don't want to hang too long on the worst case scenario because I'm more interested to see you kind of put a barometer on how high we think this Buccaneer ceiling is. But is there any chance that Tom Brady maybe gives like a two-year commitment so that if he does have any more gas left in the tank, he does this all over again next or two summers from now, rather? Do you think that's a possibility at all? Absolutely. Um, I I think, like, one, we have two very smart parties at play. Tom Brady and his camp and then the collective brains of Bruce Arians and Jason Light. Like, I think neither party wants to put probably all – all the eggs in this season because there's a there's an adjustment period that inevitably has to happen. This is a 43-year-old who was used to doing things one way for 19 years in the NFL. Like that like he's just used to going to the same facility. He's used to seeing the same people. He's used to having the same workout routine, the same regimen, the same facilities to go to. Like he's used to seeing all that and to to pick it up in one season, completely change it and think there's going to be no speed bump. It's kind of unrealistic. So I think the best case scenario for both parties, for Brady's narrative and for the Buccaneers' chances of actually winning, you got to go at least two years, if not three, if both parties can swing it. Because you just give yourself more margin for error. There's no player that's no no serious player that's going to be let go in those two to three years. We have Mike Evans locked up. JPP is now back for three years, and then hopefully Shaq Barrett after this next season gets that contract to stay with us. All our big pieces are still there. Chris Godwin is still working on a rookie deal for the next two years. So we, we have, we have time. This isn't, the window isn't just this year. So I think if if we can get that two to three years in that deal for him, I think that's, that's, that's what both sides should be shooting. I mean, well, that's kind of how we see the Brady contract uh, situation playing out, but Let's look and project forward. If everything goes right, what's the best case scenario? I want to hear you say, because you always dog me for celebrating the, the little wins that the Sixers have. Jake, Jake, the best case scenario is that we're holding up the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, whenever, yeah. Whenever next year, of course that's the best case scenario. That that's if, if you said if everything goes perfectly right and the best outcome happens, that is the best outcome, is it not? It is, and that's the best out- outcome. But uh, best case scenario for the Dolphins isn't them raising the trophy necessarily. Like I think, you know, obviously every team would like to win it. The question is, not, but the best case scenario, the best situation that could happen to all thirty-two teams in the NFL, you win a championship. And do you think that's possible within the next two, three years absolutely. in Tampa Bay? Absolutely, 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 one hundred percent, absolutely. Is it possible? Yes. Should I be banking on it? No, but. Is that something that I can realistically strive for? Is that is that is that the end goal to which I want to see steps get taken towards sooner than later? One hundred percent, absolutely. This team is now built to win soon, if not now. Like that, this team isn't with Jameis at the helm and the core being very young. That the window was wide open. the The chances of of us winning now were slim, but the thought is this is a long play. That now just did a complete 180, okay? This team is built to win now. So the best so, scenario, if the chips fall right and everything plays out as it should, we are at the very least contending for a Super Bowl 
next whatever whatever the next Super Bowl may be. We don't. I'm, okay. I'm, right. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Scary, but um, you know, with that, that's absolutely the best case scenario. And then for so, Brady specifically, I think that's where we have to get more realistic for the best case scenario. Right. I'm, I'm not going to. The best case scenario isn't Tom Brady throws for 45 touchdowns. 5,500 yards and is the MVP of the league. Like, I think, I, I think that Brady is done. The best case scenario is Tom Brady yet again proves the naysayers wrong. All the naysayers are saying is that he's not going to be able to, to carry weight like he was able to carry weight in New England. That's all, that's all he's got to do again. He's got to prove that Tom Brady can still you know, be that reason or Tom Brady can still positively contribute to a team moving towards a championship. That this so, isn't just where Brady goes to to retire and to set up his timeshare. That's right. So my, my question then becomes, let's say, okay, fine, 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 fine. It would pain me to see him immediately come in and win you a title. Let's say for narrative's sake, he does come into Tampa Bay and he wins them a title within the next three years. What does that do? You speak about narrative and you speak about things that are said of Brady. When you look at the power struggle that's been the last 10 years of him versus Belichick, if he comes out and wins a title with another team or vice versa, if he looks terrible and Belichick and the Patriots are still churning, do you think that that puts a definitive lean on that battle that has been the past 10 years between the two? I mean, and uh, that's that's the the narrative under the narrative, right? That's the, the subplot of this whole story is now for the next two or three years, Brady and Belichick are battling the ghost of Brady and Belichick, right? Like I think in the back of Tom Brady's mind, what he wants to prove is that it wasn't all Bill Belichick, that Bill Belichick was not the reason that they won those championships, that he's able to do it. He's able to bring a different team to a championship. And I think whoever succeeds either first or succeeds best that scale tips towards them. So to answer your question, like, yes, I think that does make a lot of people go, man, maybe it was Tom Brady. Maybe it wasn't, you know, Bill Belichick. Maybe Bill Belichick was just the defensive side of it. And and Tom Brady was really the reason that that offense was thriving and it wasn't just Bill Belichick's system. So um, personally, I, I think both of them are kind of at a 50-50 split for, you know, who's, who's responsible for those championships. Um, but I do think that's a that's definitely a narrative at play, and I think a narrative that Tom Brady is very aware of. Like he's very aware of that, um, and I think he wants to play towards that. He wants to get the upper hand. No one, everyone wants to have the last laugh, and this is everybody's chance to have that. Right, and it'll be interesting to see play out. I'm sure you're super excited, but that's not the only signing that happened just in this past couple of days. Uh, why don't we take a look at some of the quarterbacks that have been flying around uh changing hands changing teams and i'd say behind brady probably the second best one is philip rivers going to indianapolis on a one-year 25 million dollar deal another quarterback i love another quarterback stat matt hates for no reason and i hate for no reason as well don't leave me out of that uh <laughs> no reason. i think that you know when you when you think about pre-andrew luck retiring the colts were a team that i think a lot of people considered to be upper echelon or, or a contender, so to speak, do you think Rivers gives them that punch that Luck did? I, I'm, I'm not so sure that he does. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure either. I mean, what Phil Rivers will bring is for what it's worth, like a can do attitude, like a, 
uh, a positive go get. He's going to lay it out on the field, you know, as much as he possibly can. Every single time, there's going to be no holds bar. There's going to be no lack of intensity. There's going to be no lack of leadership. There's going to be no lack of we can do this. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to bring the flair that Andrew Luck could or even really, you know, put the team on his back that Andrew Luck was able to do a couple of times, especially in the, in that one playoff run they had. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, one-year deals always scare me. Rental, rentals always scare me because it's – it's like a, it's a, it's a this year or bust, and I'm not sure if the Indianapolis Colts have the ability to go all in just this year for Philip Rivers. Like I'm, I'm not sure what the end goal is there for Indianapolis. Yeah, I, like they have some pieces. This seems like more of a stopgap. So like, one of two things can happen: either they succeed with Philip Rivers, maybe they try and get another two years out of him, another three years out of him, or. This fails horribly. Your team is no good, and you just pick a quarterback in the first round next year, and you free yourself of Philip Rivers' bad, well, I guess, contract at that point. He, he's not under contract anymore. But I don't know. I could see them being a competitive team, especially with the way that their division has kind of been in flux. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on some of their other division mates in a little bit. Uh, who are some other guys who surprised you that moved places? I mean, just just today, what what surprised me that it actually got done is Nick Foles not only getting traded to the Chicago Bears, but restructuring his deal as well. Um, I mean, Nick, Nick Foles' agent absolutely deserves a gold medal for these past two years, what he's been able to do with his client and getting him some of the deals he's been able to get. Um, why I'm kind of surprised that, Chicago went with Nick Foles over maybe Cam Newton over maybe Derek Carr is they have a real a, a good young core and a dynamic core a championship ready defense and Nick Foles has yet to lead a team from start to finish to any kind of you know major league, major success I mean we obviously know the tremendous run he went went on with Philadelphia but like you know, that that was a, a three, four game sample where he had to pick it up where Carson Wentz left it off. Like yeah, he, he didn't get that engine started from start to finish. And now he's going to have to do that with a team that, again, like the Buccaneers, was really a quarterback away from contending. Like they are ready to do it right now in Chicago. I think this says more to me. The storyline is more, I mean, good for Nick Foles, whatever. You know, he has a soft spot in my heart. But to me, this is more about Mitch Trubisky. And the failure that has been that number two overall pick, like what is worse? What what is what 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 is worse? The Minnesota Timberwolves taking two guards before Steph Curry went off the board. Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. That's who they took before Steph. Or or is it worse moving up to take Mitch Trubisky ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson? You know why Mitch Trubisky is a thousand times worse. The Timberwolves, the Timberwolves got those two draft picks years ago for trades. The Chicago Bears traded the house in that draft to move up to a spot to get a guy who was not even going to be taken at that spot. They could have gotten Mr. Trubisky where they were and felt the need to give up, what, three, four picks to move up to that spot to pass up on two future MVP candidates, one actual MVP winner. So if I remember correctly, yeah, they and they traded if I remember correctly, they traded from actually within the top 5 up to spot number 2 mm-hmm. 
it might have even been from spot three to spot two, and uh, the Niners ended up. They weren't the, the Niners weren't. This is right after the Garoppolo contract, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to take a quarterback. But regardless, other teams may have traded up. They decided to move up and take Mitch Trubisky. We all know how that went. Um, so I, I just want to go back to New England for a second because we talked about Brady leaving. We talked about Belichick versus Brady, but moving forward now, I mean, this is the first time that, I mean, pretty much for the first time in 20 years that Tom Brady is not going to be on the Patriots. They're going to have to bring someone in. Who do you think that is? I mean, the Patriots are, and they're almost in a bad spot, right? Because they had this battle going with Tom Brady, and I think to Robert Kraft's dismay, that's all his focus was on. And I, and I know there were probably other people in the organization, Belichick, probably specifically that said, like, we have to start looking at options that aren't named Tom Brady. Like, we, we really have to start doing that because if and when he leaves, players are going to get taken off the board. And they're, they're left with now the options of Derek Carr, Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, Jameis Winston are, like, the, the most viable options for New England. And, and of those... I got to say, I, I, I think Andy Dalton is the lesser of evils in that in that scenario. Um, I think he's just a quarterback that when I look at his style of play matches up to what Tom Brady was able to do and how he played the most. Um, I think he, he offers the least amount of downside than any of other ones. Flacco, you got to deal with age. Obviously, Jameis, you have to deal with all the question marks that come with you know, his instability, Derek Carr, you have to talk about his health and his instability. And then Cam Newton, you have to talk about his health as well. Um, so I, I think they go after, and that's what my gut tells me that their next target is Andy Dalton. I don't know about you. Yeah. I, Dalton, I think makes sense. I thought that they might go after Foles. Uh, I thought he made sense as well, but ultimately I think they might end up drafting someone. I, I could honestly see Bill drafting another quarterback trying to develop that quarterback at least that's what the right thing i think would be to do um you mentioned cam newton you said this a long a long time ago jake what's that very true there are a couple teams in sports that don't rebuild they retool and it's pretty much one definitively for each sport the nba it's the san antonio spurs they don't rebuild they retool in the mlb it's the new york yankees they don't rebuild they retool in the nfl that's the New England Patriots. They don't rebuild. They retool. I think going to the draft and just as long as Bill Belichick is there, there's no reason to rebuild. Like you're, you're dealing with that same kind of window. Bill Belichick has yeah. five to ten years left. He doesn't. <laughs> I, was, I was talking with a Boston fan, and he's like, oh, don't worry. Like he like – not a hardcore Boston fan kind of came to uh, being a football fan a few years ago when he lived in Boston, and he's like, yeah, like – we can just tank and get a good quarterback. And like me and my friend were laughing like, you fool. Yeah, the Patriots don't tank. Don't do Bill Belichick doesn't tank. They don't, they don't do that. They don't, they don't, no, they don't do that. I don't think Robert Kraft, there's a 20 years of winning. You can't go 20 years of not just winning, but like dominating. You can't go from the greatest run and the greatest dynasty football has ever seen to the next year. Just saying like, uh, we'll just, we'll just be really bad and hopefully get the next Tom Brady in the draft. Like that's not, that 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 can't that's that you can't that can't be the thinking that just can't be you know what I right. mean like you gotta you gotta figure out there's someone out there 
that can help us transition to the next dynasty of winning. And I'm not sure it's Jared Stidham, and I'm not sure it in the 2020 draft. It's got to be out there in those quarterbacks. And just like you talked about Phillip Rivers maybe being the stopgate for Indianapolis, I think New England's in that same vein is we got to get someone to bridge us to that next one, either until we draft someone who's then ready to take over or until Jared Stidham is ready to take over. But the answer is not tanking until that happens. The answer is getting someone who can keep us afloat until that happens. And maybe that's maybe that's their their play now. Maybe it's like, just get us someone who can keep the ship from sinking at this point. Yeah, well, that's yet to be seen, and I'm sure they will be making moves coming up as free agency progresses. One thing before we move on to all the wide receivers that have been flying around, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Sure, this was this was yeah. a shocker. Honestly, maybe the most shocking out of all of them. Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina. Yeah. Um, Teddy Two Balls is our man Max Gordon refers to him as Teddy, Teddy Two Gloves. Teddy Two Gloves. I don't know where he got Teddy Two Balls from. That he <laughs> in the NBA. When he said that, he said that in a DM to me, and I was like, Teddy Two Gloves would have been better. He would have been like, he was like, oh snap, man, that would have been better. And I was like, for someone as clever as you, like I, I don't know how that escaped you. That's literally right there in front of you but Teddy two gloves. Yeah. So he, he gets signed uh, to Carolina in to me is a little bit of a head scratching move when they still have Cam in there. He didn't play a bunch last year. He was banged up. They're ready to trade man's. Yeah. I mean, that's how the business goes, but I don't, I I would have at least liked to see them have a competition. I guess if you're bringing someone new in, it's not to have a competition with who you already have, but I don't know. I think Cam could, the way Teddy was going, he wasn't going anywhere to either compete again or be a backup. Like, Teddy did that. He got hurt, bounced around to a couple of teams, took his stripes, said, I'll be a backup, I'll be a replacement, then went 5-0. and And after watching Jimmy G and Jacoby Prissett get bags and starting roles after going 5-0, and 6-0, and 3-0, and he was like, it's my time. Like, it's Teddy's time now. And <laughs> so I think... Before he signed with anyone, I, th- I think that had to be the agreement. I'm not coming to battle with anyone. I'm not coming to back up anyone. I'm coming to be your new franchise quarterback, and I've proved that I can do it. So I think that's why Carolina immediately said, you know, we're allowing Cam to seek trades, which ended up being cryptic code for we're trading Cam Newton. Um, so I think I guess good on Carolina for allowing Cam to be the, the ship steerer in that and say, like, if you – we're allowing you to seek trade. So if there's a team you want us to reach out to, tell us and we'll reach out to that team and see if we can get something done. But yeah, it looks like Cam's on his way out the door. And like I said, it might be for the best. I think his better years are probably behind him, but what okay. he leaves well, in his well, head and say again, I was say, well, let me ask you this then. What's the best case scenario for, the best realistic case scenario for Teddy Bridgewater, and I'll just say in his first year in Carolina, like what what are we going to expect for Teddy from Teddy in his first year? Teddy specifically, Teddy and and the Panthers as a whole. I mean, I, I guess it's hand in hand. As Teddy does better, Carolina does better, right? Right, and I think the best case scenario would be them beating out not only Tom Brady but also New Orleans in that same division and winning their division. I don't, I don't really want to project them going forward into the playoffs. That's a long, long way away. But I do think that if everything goes right, there's a lot of ground to be gained on the offensive side of the ball. Christian McCaffrey had a hell of a year, but they Ooh. also have two stud receivers in the wings as well in DJ right. uh, uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, both guys who All I really right. like a lot. Stud? 
You're gonna you're gonna call him studs. DJ Moore is a stud in the waiting in, in the arms. He had he had a thousand yard year with Kyle Allen as his quarterback because he was the only one Kyle Allen threw to. No, nah, I mean you, they. Well, McCaffrey is one of the top pass catchers out there. Very true. He may have even caught more balls. I think he did lead the team in receptions. <laughs> I think he did do that. Let him in so, receiving yards <laughs> and rushing yards. Right. So I think that it, if you bring in a quarterback who can spread the ball around with some accuracy, it opens up their offense. And then on the defensive end, they do have some questions. No Luke Keekley for them coming back this no year. So anymore went to the Cowboys. That's why I think, you know, it, it's a it's a best case scenario just for them to win the division if all things go right. I do think their offense could be better. Their defense realistically is probably going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. And no Eric Reed too. So you're losing yep. two veterans on that defense, which I mean three, I'm sorry, three veterans on that defense, which probably were your only household names on that defense. Um so, yeah, that's that that's definitely going to be tough for Carolina and like even talking about the the quarterbacks that are in the NFC South. I mean, you got Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Ryan. I mean, those are I mean, that's that's an insane insane division of quarterbacks right there, all of which we're going to get to see twice a year. So, that's going to be crazy, but I guess we'll move on from the the throwers to the catchers here and because there there are there were some wide receivers on the move yesterday. I think the entire sports world is still wondering how the hell this happened. How did DeAndre Hopkins go from Houston to Arizona and even more of a head scratcher of what the Texans got for him or more importantly all that Arizona had to give up to get maybe the best receiver in football. This is a classic Bill O'Brien butcher job. I don't know how they allow him to be their GM. It it should be a crime. If I was a Houston fan, I would call it a crime. It's almost like how the Knicks were allowing Phil Jackson to be the GM or president of basketball operations. Like, there's only so many bad moves you can make before you got to really wonder. Like, is this guy doing it on purpose? Like, is he is he like trying to? Like trying to get fired? Is he trying to like get a reaction out of somebody? Like there's there's just zero chance. So they trade away the. I mean, I I won't make any specific declaration, but let's just say a top three wide receiver in the NFL is pretty certain, right? Oh, you can agree. I, I mean, I don't have problem with calling him the best receiver in the NFL. Okay, so he trades away the best receiver in the NFL, and. He does not get back a first round pick, which <laughs> me, I mean, this is a team that, that like the whole reason when it was being reported that they were making this deal was because they were in quote unquote draft hell. So he gets the second round pick and then he also gets the right to pay the worst, one of the worst big running back contracts in the NFL. And That's the year, right you get for trading away. After a year that they had two injuries to starting running backs, two of them. Like they know what they know how bad your running back getting hurt, what that can do for your team. They just experienced it two times over in the same year, and now you want to go back and get a guy who tore his ACL two years ago and had no bounce back of a season this past year. Had one of the most disappointing seasons in the NFL. Got his job took by Kenyon Drake. <laughs> like, uh, come on, like, what are we talking about here? I would be, and and you know what? 
you know what? Screw the Texans. They're screwing their their uh, young quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I'd rather focus on Arizona because they're doing the opposite. They now have a fleet of wide receivers for Kyler Murray. What is that team going to look like? I'm excited. They might be the most exciting team to watch next year. Really? Like, like I'm not. I'm not all the way there in the Arizona Cardinals yet. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm truly not. Um, I mean. You look at Kenyon Drake's numbers from last year, and then you think about Hopkins with that air raid offense that Cliff right. Kingsbury is known for. But but let's start, but let's start with that running back. Kenyon Drake is not an air raid type of running back. He is a downhill, powerful running back who likes to run between the tackles. Like I I don't see how Kenyon Drake, and maybe this wasn't so Kenyon Drake could start. Maybe the sole point of Arizona trading David Johnson was just so they don't have to have David Johnson's contract anymore over their heads. But I don't see how Kenyon Drake is the best option for you at running back for the style of offense you like to run, where there might be times Kenyon Drake totes the football like 12 times a game, if that. Like, if everything goes perfectly, Arizona is throwing the ball 60 times a game. They're a college-run offense. So, I mean, I don't know about the Kenyon Drake point. I think while he was on Arizona last year, he averaged 5.2 yards per attempt on the ground. So, I, like, I, the proof is in the pudding for me. They have Chase Edmonds, who's a good backup back who can do some of the stuff that you're talking about. But you look, they have three. You know, I remember talking about the draft last, last year. They took Hakeem Butler, who you know I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. They took Andy Isabella. I mean, they have guys, and they still have Larry Fitzgerald there too. So Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk had a good year last year. Christian Kirk, Kirk right? I'm forgetting all about Christian Kirk. <laughs> so, I mean, it's good. They're still in the NFC West. <laughs> They're still in maybe the best division in football in the regular season. So, um, there's only so much ground that can be gained from there. I mean, the Rams are one thing. The Rams might be looking to have a bounce back season, but you have two. NFC juggernauts stamped into that division and the 49ers who did get a little bit worse and the Seattle Seahawks who, you know, have Russell Wilson. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. You make, I mean, you make good points. Um, just reading off some more of DeAndre Hopkins stats, second in the NFL since 2015 in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdown. Like you said, I mean, this guy, uh, you, you said it, he's the best receiver in football, gone from the Houston Texans. And the ironic thing is they'll probably use their draft pick to pick a receiver, mm-hmm. which is even funnier. Right, which is which is hilarious. And he's not – I mean, I don't care who you pick. You're not picking DeAndre Hopkins. You pray he's DeAndre Hopkins. You pray in four years, in three years, he's DeAndre Hopkins. Right. There's no one in this draft – I mean, look, there are great receivers in this draft. It's one of the best draft wide receiver draft classes maybe in the history of the NFL. I don't – there's no one this year in that draft that I could – I would feel confident saying they will fill the void that DeAndre Hopkins brought. There's just, I'm not going to put that expectation on any receiver in this draft. I think it's unfair. And I also think that Houston is prepared to go with Will Fuller as their number one receiver, which we know the injuries that Will Fuller has had over the past two yep. years. So that's just, they just, I've, they dug themselves in such a hole. And I just, I, I, I am, the the feeling that I'm I have in my heart right now I feel a little guilty because I'm just so glad it's not my team anymore like I'm so <laughs> glad my team isn't the team in a hole like my team is head above water now for the first time in so long and I'm looking at all these teams like get your shit together like get it together now, I don't know which now now I'm talking from the point of view of a good football franchise so y'all y'all bottom feeders need to get it together now because you're annoying. 
speaking of bottom feeders getting it together, how about those Buffalo Bills? Don't circle the wagons don't do on it. the Buffalo Bills, baby. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Stephon Diggs there um, for, I don't, forced his way out of Minnesota, which I also think there's a little bit of silver lining in Minnesota that, that they're not really seeing just yet with opening the field with, with no Stephon Diggs. But I think now, look, Josh Allen did all he did last year with no household receiver to his name. Um, and he had all receivers, what, five, eight and below. Like he finally gets a number one receiver to, to you know, help in a, in a very good passing offense. And I mean, they got Stephon Diggs for a first round pick this year, a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick and a fourth round pick next year. Um, so, you know, they gave up a little bit of a bag for him, but I mean, hopefully it'll work. I mean, I, I see, I see it working in Buffalo and with no Brady in the AFC East, it's, it's the Buffalo Bills have to be licking their chops at their chance at a division title again. Exactly. That that's, that's exactly my sentiment is like the news came out. They probably got the news that Brady wasn't coming back or they got the inkling Brady wasn't coming back and said, all right, it's time to push the chips into the middle, it's time to get a competitive team. And I agree. I think Diggs is going to do wonders there. We know that Allen can really air the ball out. He has a huge arm, and I think Diggs gives him someone who can consistently get open and run under those deep passes. I'm excited to see what he does because his talents were – I'm a huge Stephon Diggs guy. I don't know if you know this. Like, I think he's I one of – I didn't know this, actually. Yeah, he. Can, I, in my opinion, like in terms of the routes that he runs, his athletic profile – if you give him his own team like he has now, I think we're going to see him become a top 10 statistical wide receiver in the league. And here's the thing. Stephon Diggs is a receiver who wants that double-digit targets a game, double-digit catches a game. And the Buffalo Bills don't have anybody else on that team who warrants that kind of workload. So that that works for him. I mean, he was in a team in Minnesota with two other guys that could have that catch load and Kyle Rudolph and Adam Thielen. Like now he goes as the definitive number one target, and he's a, such a versatile receiver. You just talked about it. The number of routes he can run, you can line him up in the slot as the number one outside or the number two outside. You can really get creative in that offense. Like I think Stephon Diggs is, is going to take hopefully the Buffalo Bills to heights they haven't been to in about you know ten to twelve, ten to twenty years now. Yeah, that'll be exciting to watch in the AFC. Heading over our last wide receiver that we'll touch on in the NFC. Amari Cooper got an absolute bag from the Dallas Cowboys. He got what that five years, one hundred million dollars. Uh, good for Amari, I guess, but a little scary if I'm a Cowboys fan with Dak only sitting on a franchise tag right now. I mean, I guess we, we got to focus on what is Amari Cooper signing, um, because I mean, what what that does is Amari Cooper was going to get was going to get a, a deal from somebody else, and I think that's. That's kind of what the Cowboys were thinking. And my and my estimation is we have a better chance at people passing on Dak than we do people passing on Amari. Like we have a much better chance. And I think Amari wouldn't have Amari would not have liked the franchise tag. Like Amari Cooper, if he got franchise tagged, would probably leave next year um, and not want to remain with the Dallas Cowboys. I think there's a chance that you franchise tag Dak this year, you allow the market to reset next year. Um but the only bad thing is now he's going to be dealing with a Patrick Mahomes contract, which is going to be the biggest football has ever seen. And Watson. And Watson, which is probably going to be the second biggest that football has ever seen. And he's going to fall way under that barometer. But for the Cowboys, that may not be a bad thing. 
Like for <laughs> no, seriously, because the other the other quarterbacks in his draft class are getting their new deal. He'll get his new deal. And I think the reason he wanted it this year is because he didn't want that measuring stick out there. Like he didn't want Patrick Mahomes to get a $200 million deal. And then Jerry Jones look at Dak and say, you realize you are nowhere near that deal, right? Like look at where Patrick Mahomes' bar is. You are here, so this is what you're going to get paid. He wanted it this year because that bar isn't tangible yet. Does that make sense? Like the, there's no there's no real measuring stick. Once that comes out, now there's a real measuring stick with Dak Prescott, and he can't ask for $200 million guaranteed anymore. That's Here's the thing. Plausible. If you're Dallas, that's fine. I, I, I do somewhat agree with you, but you have to be okay then with him with the potential of him walking away. Because when you play that game, like, oh, you don't think I'm good enough? Oh, okay, well, I'll go try and find that money elsewhere, and we'll see how good I am. And then you're down a quarterback, which maybe is and maybe isn't the thing you want to do. I I think, one, Jerry Jones is plugged in. I think he's he's had to leverage other situations and say, like, I don't know if there is an owner willing to pay Dak. And if there is an owner willing to pay Dak Prescott, it's not a contending owner. It's not not someone we have to worry about contending for a championship with Dak. It, It would be a bottom team who's trying to, you know, rejuvenate, revitalize their team and maybe start a rebuilding process. But I mean, it goes back to, would you rather take that chance with Amari walking or with Dak Prescott walking? And I'm taking yeah. that chance with Dak Prescott walking 10 times out of 10. Like I'm, I'm doing that. I think the Cowboys made the the right business decision. Like I, I really think that they made the right business decision with this, with they chose Amari. Yeah. And they had to choose Amari. Not, a, not, uh, just exclusively over Dak, but also over other free agents like Byron Jones, mm-hmm. who moving on now to kind of the rest of the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, dude, Woo! loaded the F up. <laughs> the Florida teams was tired. The South Florida teams was tired <laughs> of being laughingstocks, boy. It was tired of it. We had enough. Like, Yeah, I mean, you go down and look at the, all the money that they're spending Eric Flowers, they bring in three years, thirty million. Emmanuel Ogba, two-year deal. Shaq Lawson uh, and Kyle Van Noy to bolster that defense, and then the last one and the crown jewel is that Cowboy, the alpha- aforementioned Byron Jones, who signs a five-year, eighty-two million dollar deer deal Ooh. with the Dolphins. We're talking about a bag. That's a that's a that's a duffel bag. That's good money for uh, Byron, especially considering Xavier Howard is a young corner on the Dolphins right now who's making a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what I look at is what are they going to do with Howard? Now they've got Jones. What are they going to do with Howard and his contract? What are you going to do with it? There's more than two. There's two cornerbacks on the field. Now you got two really good cornerbacks on your team. What? You think they keep them? Yeah, they keep them. Yeah, they keep them. These, like, look at the moves. You got to look at uh, the moves the team is making. You don't make all these moves. Bolster your defense like this. Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, Byron Jones. Like, you don't, Emmanuel Ogba, like, you don't do this to your defense just to get rid of someone who's already good that's on your defense. That doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, they did it with Minka Fitzpatrick. But <laughs> but they didn't do that. They didn't make all these moves and then trade Minka Fitzpatrick. They traded Minka Fair. Fitzpatrick, used some of those draft picks in which they traded Minka Fitzpatrick for and got all, and, you know, got some, got some pieces. So, like, and they, they still have, what, immense amount of draft picks going in so I, I don't think Xavier Howard is going anywhere. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. I just think with a re- with a rebuilding team, 
maybe that money's better served elsewhere, especially if there's a lineman that you like. Maybe you're probably going to be bringing in Tua to be your quarterback. I think you'd optimally like to keep him safe with a good offensive line and maybe all- spend money there instead of cornerback, especially when you have Byron Jones already. That's true. And But the youngest person that they brought in is Shaq Lawson, who is just coming off a rookie deal, is now in his fourth year in the league and had what he thought was a Pro Bowl year last year with the Buffalo Bills. And I think a lot could agree with that. You didn't bring in, you know, these young guys. You didn't even bring in guys who haven't been, you know, true and tested. Like Kyle Van Noy is sitting on Super Bowl rings. Manuel Ogba has been known as one of the better pass rushers in the league. Byron Jones was one of the best cornerbacks last year. Eric Flowers is one of the best offensive tackles in the league. You're bringing in true and, and, you know, try and true and tested veterans into your team. You're not doing that, you know, to rebuild. You're doing that because you know these people have shown to make differences before and you know it can make a difference, you know, to your football team this year. Someone who made a big difference to the Philadelphia Eagles for the past five, six, seven years has been Malcolm Jenkins, who the team announced they will not be renewing his contract this year. He wanted a new deal, uh, was asking for top safety money. The team opted instead to bring back Jalen Mills and Rodney McLeod as their new safety pairing. Um, (laughs) Oh, sorry. So I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do think – it's a horrendous look that they get rid of their defensive leader. And then that leader immediately goes back to the team that he came from, who had obviously realized they had made a mistake. The Saints lock up Malcolm Jenkins, I think on a three, four year deal that came across while we've been recording. I think it was three. So like to me, I just worry about like, you know, where, who is the leader of this defense now? Fletcher Cox, right? It's gotta be. I guess. I, I don't know that he's been all that much of a vocal leader in his time here. And I, uh, maybe it's Brandon Graham? Maybe. And I know for a defense, a defense is different from an offense. Like your quarterback is obviously the captain of your offense because he controls everything. But your defense has multiple leaders for the different sections, the defensive line, the linebacking core, and the secondary because they kind of all operate independently. And – You might still have the overall leader of your defense, which is Fletcher Cox, but you lost the quarterback of your secondary. And a secondary that's already, say it with me, Jake. Say it with me. No. Shaky, baby. Already shaky. So that's my biggest worry. And then, uh, I'm sorry, man. I've seen a lot of Eagles fans try to justify this move. Jalen Mills going back to safety, to me, does not really do anything. Like, Like, it doesn't. This is a guy. I, I, th- I think. Well, here that, that's that was his natural position. Like coming out of the draft, he was a safety mainly because he was more of a physical player um, in terms of uh, at least for D back standards. He was more of a physical D back than he was a speed demon, and that showed when he got burned on multiple double moves. He bites on him all the time, and then can't make up that difference. But that I, I don't. Know. I, I like. I personally like it. I like them moving him. I don't. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just the Eagles pessimist, but. When you you now he's your last line of defense, and you're not going to use him like you use Malcolm Jenkins. Rodney McLeod, I think, goes if you keep the same scheme. Rodney McLeod goes, who I think is more physical than Jalen Mills, goes into that you know that strong safety role where maybe he's patrolling the line of scrimmage. He's maybe used as an extra linebacker sometimes, but he's down in the box more. And then you have Jalen Mills playing center field, and you just talked about how Jalen Mills bites on moves, bites on fakes, and gets out of position. Is that really what you want from the last line of your defense? Is your safety out of position? Because he looked at the quarterback's eyes, jumped to one side of the uh, court. 
I don't know. He's playing there. Like you said, he's playing the quarterback rather than trying to mirror a receiver. And I, like you, you, you did make a good, a good point about who's going to step up in that strong safety role for Malcolm Jenkins when he moves up into the box, which Malcolm Jenkins was used extensively last year and, and some of the year prior as that in the box safety. That's really where the Eagles are going to be lacking coming up. I'm not too, I mean, you're going to have to bring in someone anyway to shore up your secondary, so you're going to have to improve there either way, but I, that's where I worry. They need to get a linebacker in there. Yeah, and, and for a team who is still looking to contend, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot of holes, man. A lot of holes. The wide receiver position, the linebacking position, now the safety position. I mean, you, you, you're there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that y'all need to put into the puzzle before you know it looks good. Yeah, well, we'll see how we wanted to get the team younger, and clearly they've been taking steps to do that. Uh, it'll it'll all really come down to how they pick in the draft. And speaking of the NFL draft. There was another big trade that went a little under the radar, in my opinion. DeForest Buckner is traded yeah. for the 13th overall pick in this draft. What do you make of that? Um, I don't know if DeForest Buckner is worth a top 15 pick. Um, just, I guess, off the top of my head, he was part of the best defense in the NFL, but it wasn't him who stood out in that defense, at least not consistently. Um, but, I mean, if if... If you're the if you're the 49ers, like then you you got a you got a great pick. I mean, I'm not even sure what really made the 49ers covet that 13th pick so much. I mean, it's like what what do the 49ers go and get? What do you think their team truly needs? Um, you know, to with that 13th pick, like the world is at their oyster. There's really no bad pick that the 49ers could have with that 13th pick. Yeah, they're pretty stacked. I I've seen a lot of noise about them going receiver. Uh that's about the range where you'd expect the grouping of Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy. That's where you expect those guys to go. Mm-hmm. I think that they pick a guy like that and they really, really supercharge that offense to pair with how great the defense was. That's a scary team, dude. It was already a scary team. Like that's even, even <laughs> scarier about this is they were already a scary team who was, you know, you know, holding on to a lead away from winning a Super Bowl. So, like, it's – I guess maybe if you wanted 13th as a good running back area too, maybe if you just wanted to double down and have a fourth running back in your committee with a Chuba Hubbard, a, a um, you know, a, a DeAndre Swift, a Swift, you know, a Jonathan Taylor, somebody like that just to make your offense just an absolute nightmare for people. But like I said – they they could take a place kicker and people would be like, good pick, good pick, San Fran, good pick. Like, right, yeah, just they, I mean, it's really a no go wrong spot uh, <laughs> for them. But yeah, I, I could see a running back going as well. That'd be interesting. All right, so that wraps up our NFL weekly wrap up, so to speak, of the free agents that have went and a lot of big moves still to come. But now it's time to move on to the countdown. And for this week, for this episode, we're going to do a themed countdown so to speak what if the nba ended today or when they stopped play looking at at that five through one through the numbers james start us off with number five for five the number of players to shoot 50 40 90 and average 20 points per game in nba history we have larry bird stephen curry 
Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant, and the fifth person would have been Chris Middleton, who's checking all of those boxes, averaging about 20 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the foul line. And uh, of a year that we're talking about LeBron and the Lakers, uh, Giannis, his teammate with the Bucks, Kawhi on the Clippers, it really went under the radar that Chris Middleton is having a legendary, historic season. There's only been four of the players to have 50, 40, 90, and he was about to join it. The funniest thing to me is like all these guys, Middleton plays off of Giannis. You have Bird playing off of um, all of his Hall of Fame teammates, Curry and KD playing off of each other. Granted, I think KD's time when he did it came in Oklahoma City, still playing off of Hall of Famers there. Right. Derek in his year, I believe he, that was the year he had Jason Kidd and went to the final. Nah, but that, come on, come on. Dirk's got an old ass Jason Kidd and a Jason Terry, and he's doing that shit. That is impressive. I'm telling you, 2009, 2010, Dirk is one of the most impressive players in NBA history. The team he took not only to the finals, but won it. Like, that's the, he took out. He took out Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook that year in the playoffs. He took out the the Grind City Grizzlies that year in the playoffs. He took out the Dynasty San Antonio Spurs that year in the playoffs. Like, 09 Dirk needs some major respect on his name. But we move on. Number four. The number of all NBA selections Kawhi Leonard would have had in his career. I'm assuming, we are assuming, that he would have made it this year onto one of the three all NBA teams. Yeah. Um, if the NBA season ended, uh, whenever whenever the stoppage was, would you say this Clippers year was trending towards a success, being a success or a failure? Being a success, I can't see them not making the Western Conference Finals um, along with the Lakers, and I just think the Clippers have been looking to be one of the NBA's best and most exciting for a long time and going center stage toe to toe with the Lakers in the Western conference finals, essentially not having a road game in the Western conference finals, I think would have put them in that stratosphere. And then they would have been able to build off that for, for years to come. So it kind of sucks that it gets cut. Um, I, I think Kawhi would have made first team just going off the top of my head um, for forwards. It probably would have been him, LeBron and AD. I'm not sure anyone goes above him in the Western Conference. In terms maybe of- Jokic. Maybe Jokic. Like, absolutely maybe. But the Clippers would have finished above the Nuggets in standings. And I think the NBA just would have wanted, wanted to give it to Kawhi. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and bring it down now to number three. Uh, number three is the Lakers becoming the third team to make the NBA Finals following a playoff drought that lasted at least five seasons. The other two teams are the 76 to 77 Blazers who won the NBA championship and the 75 to 76 Suns who made the championship. Uh, truth be told, I don't remember if they if they won it or not. But if if everything was heading the way it should have, it looks like the Lakers would have been that third team in NBA history to make that NBA Finals run. They ended this season as the NBA Finals projected winner um, simulated through this season. So do you think the Lakers would have fulfilled that destiny? I do because, I, I, I mean, we just talked about the Clippers. I think the Lakers were destined to beat the Clippers in this uh, NBA postseason. We may still get to see it. Who knows? But in this imaginary simulation that we've done where the season cuts off, I like to think that LeBron carried the Lakers and AD came of course. through of course. just like Ky- Kyrie did when they played the Warriors and LeBron is the one holding 
the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year. So yeah, I'm I'm down with that. I'm yeah. down with it. Of course. Will we have it any other way, Jake? Will we have it? No, of course not. Way? Number two. Speaking of the guy, number of number of players who have led the NBA in assists <laughs> at age 35 or older, Steve Nash and the man LeBron James. The man um, the legend. How impressive of a season did he have? And I mean, I guess we don't really touch on it here. We've touched on it in uh in passing in past episodes. Do you think he would have taken home the MVP? Uh I'm I'm not I'm not sure he would have taken home the MVP. Um, I don't, that's tough because they would have finished there. They probably would have finished second in the NBA behind Giannis and the Bucks, but it's hard because Giannis had an MVP season and then got better. And I know that's, that's what led to Steph Curry's second unanimous MVP is he won the MVP and then got better. And people were like, I don't know how you don't give it to this man again. That's just this. He raised the standard and Giannis did that again. But that doesn't take anything away from the impressiveness that is 10.6 assists from a small forward at age 35. Steve Nash is one of the best point guards in NBA history. So it's really not unfathomable that he would focus his latter years on the assist because his, you know, his athleticism, his scoring ability is going to go down at age 35. LeBron's a small forward. Like LeBron's, LeBron is, is a small forward who, when he got the scoring of Anthony Davis, really changed his game and became the facilitator of that offense and did it only the way he knows how at an elite level, if not the best level in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, super, super impressive. But what we've come to expect from LeBron James, but bring it down now to number one. Number one is James Harden has the most, the number one amount of step backs in the NBA, more than any other team respectively not any other player any other team respectively he has taken more step back jump shots than any other team in the nba that's ridiculous that's how is that possible (laughs) this is a this is the guy who is found in 2k he's playing 2k and he just found a hack that all right i'm gonna go to this pretty much every time and it works for him and he keeps doing it he keeps doing it i mean that that stat really speaks for itself. I don't have too much to say about it. That's literally utterly ridiculous. Like it's, and it's not like the step back jump shot isn't a, a shot taken. There are a lot of people on a lot of teams that take that shot, and he leads every other team, respectively, collectively in the NBA. Absolutely crazy. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. But we can get some shots about the buzzer as we do. You got anything to say at the buzzer, partner? I thought I was going to enjoy this. Uh, quarantine life. Retail. I have not. I'm not at all. I, I, hate it. I want to go back to work. I never thought I'd want to go back to work as much as I do. So I agree. That's all I have to say. It's just maddening. I just yeah. sit at home. I do minimal work from home stuff. And then go I don't, I don't know. Re- refresh Twitter literally all damn day, every day. Um, here's what I have to say. And I got to credit my dad, sir, gentlemen, for bringing this point of view to my attention is he, he thought that, he had a little conspiracy theory that turned out to not be a conspiracy theory. He was telling me that he thinks the coronavirus is the Earth's way of correcting itself. And I was like, what does that even mean? And then I've been doing a little bit of research. Since this quote-unquote quarantine has been happening, I mean, canals have been cleared of, of residue. You can see through canals now. Um, there has been you know, more ve- vegetation and livestock in areas of, of China that have been impacted we see um you know you know birds are chirping louder people are saying they're seeing animals they haven't seen in years and 
I, I wonder how true my dad's theory was of this was the Earth's way of saying, like, I, I need to heal myself a little bit. You guys are taking humans are taking too many resources. Y'all need to stay inside so nature can blossom and bloom again for a little bit. And I was like, holy crap, maybe that's true. Now, a lot is to be said. Maybe some of it's coincidental, but I don't know. From what I'm seeing, it, it looks like Earth was telling the only things really killing it to stay inside and cool out for a little bit so it can, you know, not come to an inevitable doom anytime soon. Yeah, it'd be nice if Earth didn't come to an inevitable doom. Uh, I think this should be kind of like a lesson, though. Like, sure. I, I think there are ways to lessen our impact on Earth and and. Obviously, there's real-time results of what a lesser impact uh, and a lesser footprint from humans, what that yields in terms of the nature. And I've seen graphs of like NO2 levels in China and all around the world have gone down. So, yeah, good good point. That's that's nice by Vic. That's a nice catch. Yeah, nice catch by Vic. Huh? He, he, got, he has one every now and then. But, <laughs> but that's all the time we have for this remote and special edition episode of Straight Fags. Big ups to everybody in our crew. Just because you didn't hear him today doesn't mean – that they weren't doing work to help us. Greg Barron, Kyle Sobieski, Stab Matt Robinson, and Jules Schmitz for always being with us in spirit. But for my main man and my guy, Jake Galley, who's always sticking out with me, we thank you for listening. Uh, please, everyone, stay safe, social distance, and wash your hands. And as always, these have been the facts. Straight up. 